Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, historian Bill Federer will give us the details on the real St. Patrick. Then a little later, Josh Davis will share his latest One World Update. Our next Clarity to the Chaos Conference is less than a month away. Saturday and Sunday, April 15th and 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana at the Cross Church. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, for complete speaker lineup and schedule. swrc.com and click on Events. The latest issue of our Prophetic Observer newsletter is out. Articles by Dr. Larry Spargimino and staff evangelist Josh Davis, keeping time on God's prophetic clock. Subscribe to the Prophetic Observer monthly newsletter today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Who was St. Patrick, and how was his time so similar to ours today? Historian Bill Federer is here to answer these questions. Our guest today is Bill Federer, and he's going to tell us about St. Patrick. Bill, thank you so much for being with us. Larry, great to be with you. You know, St. Patrick was an amazing person. He had an amazing life, and as your title says, that's pretty much the title of your book, From Tragedy to Triumph. Tell us about this amazing man. Well, I like big picture stuff, so we start in China, where they're building the Great Wall of China in different sections, but by 220 A.D., the later Eastern Han Dynasty, they complete enough of the wall to prevent the Mongolians and the Huns from invading into China, so the Huns turn westward and begin to attack neighboring tribes, displacing them, and they attack neighboring tribes, displacing them. And it starts this domino effect across Central Asia to spill across the Roman borders. So Rome is being invaded by illegal immigrants. These illegal immigrants included the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Franks, Anglo-Saxons, Alemanni, which is German, the Jutes, Picts, Burgundians, Lombards, Alans, and the Vandals. So Rome, because of these people coming across the border, they had to pull their legions back from faraway frontier settlements like Britain. Britain had been a Roman colony since Julius Caesar, and it had a Roman presence there for nearly four centuries. But when they had to pull their legions back, you woke up and there's no police Mm. and uh, no soldiers. And for a couple days and weeks, everything's fine. But then when word gets out, you have marauding bands attacking. And these included sort of Viking-type groups that would attack, kidnap, and take people away. And so this is what happened with Patrick. He was a young man, probably around 16 years old, and these bloodthirsty pagans raided the coast and carried him away as slavery. In my book, I quote Thomas Cahill's book, How the Irish Saved Civilization. And Thomas Cahill wrote, Romans in their first encounters with these druids, these exposed insane warriors, were shocked and frightened. They were howling and, it seemed, possessed by demons. So outrageous was their strength, featuring all the terrors of hell itself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these druids is where we get Halloween from, right? right. These chopping off heads and shrunken heads and all that stuff. They believed that the trees and hills were inhabited with good and evil spirits that constantly needed to be appeased. 
And so there in Ireland, these Druids sacrificed prisoners of war to the war gods. They sacrificed newborns to the harvest gods. They believed that the human head was the seat of the soul, so they displayed human heads proudly of their enemies in their temples and on their palisades where they'd stick them on a pole around their little forts. And they even hung shrunken heads from their belts. I mean, these were the Druids. And sometimes they would use the head of an enemy as, a, as like a football in a victory celebration, kicking it around. And they would use the skulls for ceremonial drinking bowls. Again, this is where Halloween comes from. So these Druids is where Patrick was taken. Now, Patrick, the name Patrick Cuss means nobleman. So the Romans would have plebeians and patricians. The patricians were the upper class, the plebeians were the lower class. And since his name was Patrick, he must have been an upper class young man. His name at birth was Sukkot, S-U-C-A-T. So around 405 A.D., at the age of 16, while working on his father's farm there in Britain, about 50 of these long boats of these raiders arrive at the shore of Britain, kidnap Patrick, and there is Mary Cagney. She was the author of the article, Patrick the Saint, published in Christian History magazine. She says, with no Roman army to protect them, the Roman legions had long since deserted Britain to protect Rome from barbarian invasions. Patricus and his town was unprepared for attack. Irish warriors wearing helmets, armed with spears, descended on the pebble beach. Their braying war horns struck terror into Patricus's heart. He started to run toward town. Warriors quickly demolished the village. Patricus darted from among the burning houses, screaming women. He was caught, dragged aboard a boat, and taken to the east coast of Ireland. For six years, Patrick herded animals for a druid chieftain, and he later wrote in his Confession of St. Patrick, But after I came to Ireland, every day I had to tend sheep. Many times a day I prayed. The love of God and his fear came over me more and more, and my faith was strengthened. And my spirit was moved so that in a single day, I would say as many as a hundred prayers, almost as many at night. This was even when I was staying in the woods on mountain. I used to get up to prayer before daylight, through snow, through frost, through rain. There the Lord opened the sense of my unbelief that I might at last remember my sins and be converted with all my heart to the Lord my God, who comforted me as a father would a son. And then Patrick says that one night he had a dream. He says, and one night I heard in my sleep a voice saying to me, it is well that you fast. Soon you will go to your own country. And again, a voice saying to me, See, your ship is ready. But it was not near, at a distance of perhaps 200 miles. I took flight. I came in the strength of God until I came to that ship. And so on the coast of Ireland, there were a bunch of, of sailors rounding up wolves and hounds that they would take back to Europe and sell as hunting dogs. And so they let him hitch a ride with them. If, he says, as long as the animals would open, would mind him, and, and of course the dogs were like very, very docile around him. And so he finally was caught in a storm, shipwrecked on the coast of Gaul or France, hitchhiked his way back to Ireland, is reunited with his family, and it's pretty uneventful until he's about 40 years old. And then he has another dream. And in his confession, Patrick wrote, In the depth of the night I saw a man named Victoricus, coming as if from Ireland, with innumerable letters, and he gave me one, and while I was reading, I thought I heard the voice of those near the Western Sea call out, Please, holy boy, come and walk among us again. Their cry pierced my very heart. I could read no more, so I awoke. Well, he took that as a call from God, sort of like the Apostle Paul had a dream of a guy in Macedonia saying, Come over here. Paul took this as a call back 
And so he goes over there with a handful of guys, like monks. He uh, goes right into the smoky den of the Druid chieftain and confronts him with the gospel. Now, the Druids realize that Patrick is preaching a new religion, and they immediately want to kill him. And the chieftain's like, wait a second, well, he's unarmed, and we don't get visitors that often, so what's the hurry to kill him? Let me, let me listen to him. Anyway, the chieftain ends up converting. He gives Patrick a plot of land where Patrick starts his first church. And because these people are illiterate and he's trying to convey gospel principles, he uses the three-leaf clover to teach the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three and one. And so the three-leaf clover has always been associated with St. Patrick. And he goes on how the Druids, the priests, tried to kill him at least a dozen times. He said, daily I expect murder, fraud, captivity, but I fear none of these things because of the promises of heaven. The merciful God who often freed me from slavery and the 12 dangers in which my life was at stake, not to mention the numerous plots. God is my witness who knows all these things even before they come to pass, as he used to forewarn me of the many things by a divine message. He said, I came to preach to the people of Ireland the gospel and to suffer insults from the unbelievers. I am prepared to give even my life without hesitation and most gladly for his name, and it is there that I wish to spend until I die. Encyclopedia Britannica stated that Patrick challenged the royal authority of these chieftains by lighting the paschal fire on the hill of Slain on the night of Easter's Eve. So what happened? There's a chieftain, and he would make everybody in his little area extinguish all their fires one night a year, and then they would have to bring a present like a goat to the Druid priests to get some coals to relight their fire for the next year, and whoever didn't put out their fire would get put to death. Well, it happened to be the night before Easter, and Patrick's like, I'm not going to submit to this pagan chief. He goes to the top of the hill called the, um, the Hill of Slain, and he lights a bonfire, and the king, everybody sees it. The chieftain sends some people up there. Mary Cagney wrote in uh, Patrick the Saint, Christianity Today magazine. Predictably, Patrick faced the most opposition from the Druids who practiced magic and advised the Irish kings. Biographers of the saints are replete with stories of Druids who wished to kill Holy Patrick. One biographer said in the late 600s, Marucci is the historian, describes Patrick challenging the Druids to a contest at Tara. The custom was whoever lit a fire before the king on this night of the year, Easter's Eve, would be put to death. Patrick lit the Paschal fire before the king on the hill of Slain. The people saw Patrick fire throughout the plain. The king ordered 27 chariots to go up and seize Patrick, seeing the impious heathen were about to attack. Patrick said in a loud voice, may God come and scatter his enemies. And by that disaster caused by Patrick's curse in the king's presence, seven times seven, seven times seven men fell, and the king, driven by fear, came and bent his knee before the holy men. So this reminds you of Elijah, and he's praying, and Ahab sends those 50 guys. And The stories of Patrick are filled full of miracles. Because he was so far back, it's hard to do your fact check, because uh, there are not other records. But some of the stories are more believable than others. But there's a book called The Life of St. Patrick, and it was compiled in the 12th century by a Cistercian, a Cistercian monk named Jocelyn, and it has lots of stories. If you want, I can at least share some of the names of the chapters. Chapter 68, The Journey and His Manifold Miracles. Chapter 69, The Sick Man Cured. 
Chapter 71, the dead are raised up, the king and the people converted. Mm. Uh, chapter 78, 19 men are raised by Patrick from the dead. Chapter 80, King Iku is raised from the dead. <laughs> chapter 81, a man of gigantic stature is revived from death. Chapter 82, another man who was buried is raised again. Chapter 83, the boy who was torn to pieces by swine was restored to life. Chapter 145, a woman who was raised from the dead. These are the stories that were passed down from the 1200s on about St. Patrick. Chapter 178, the soul of a certain sinner is by St. Patrick freed from demons. But what we can confirm is that he baptized around 120,000 people and founded 300 churches in his confession. Patrick said, I had long had it in mind to write, but... Up to now, I've hesitated. I was afraid lest I should fall under the judgment of men's tongues because I'm not as well-read as others. Nay, almost as a boy, unable to speak, I was taken captive. Hence today, I blush exceedingly to reveal my lack of education. He felt, you know how you feel insecure? He had never finished his Latin education. In Rome at this time, you had scholars writing about all kinds of, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity and all these right. deep theological stuff. And he always felt, one place he writes a letter to Caroticus, I, Patrick, a sinner, very badly educated. So here's this guy that does all this stuff, but on the inside, he felt like he was inadequate. So there was a British king named Caroticus who was actually capturing Irish that Patrick had brought to Christian faith and capturing them and taking them to Britain and selling them into slavery. And he writes this letter condemning slavery. He says, you're, wow. you're taking the bride of Christ and selling her into a brothel because these are Christians. Patrick made a tremendous impact and in the next century now he dies on march 17th around the year 461 a.d i mean that's like over 1500 years ago could you imagine you know you or i doing something and 1500 years in the future people are still having a day to remember what we did for the lord right that's certainly amazing i've heard that supposedly he drove the snakes out of ireland he sent a letter signed your valentine i don't know where that came from but it's something that kind of popularly uh, spread about by people. Yeah, well, now that's St. Valentine's, and he lived about a century earlier. But as far as the snakes out of Ireland, yeah, that story is always there. Now, there are no snakes in Ireland. Hmm. Now, it could have been warmer back then, and they did go through a what they call a little ice age, and it got colder. But there could have been snakes, and he drove them out. And some think, well, maybe it was demons, because he was casting out demons right. everywhere he went. My favorite is his prayer. And so these Druids laid an ambush for him. He was walking through a valley, and all day long the Druids only saw a deer go by. And the next day he was on the other side of the valley. And they're like, well, maybe he walked through, but all they saw was a deer. So his prayer is called the Deer's Cry. Another, they call it the Breastplate of St. Patrick. But it says, I bind into myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three and one, one and three. I bind this day to me forever the power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on the cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spiced tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming on the day of doom, I bind into myself today. And then he goes on to say that, that God guard him against Satan's evil spells and wiles, against the false words of heresy, against the wizard's evil craft, the death wound in the burning, protect me, Christ, till thy returning. And then Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ wow. beside me, Christ to win me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in hearts of the, those that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. You really get the feeling that he is just immersed in the presence of God, yeah. and he's courageous in the face of extreme wickedness. 
And it's just an inspiring story, even for us today. Yeah, I know the, the Druids, some of the things about the Druids, they were very ferociously savage. And they were, what should I say, pagans in the extreme sense. So uh, certainly he was there, and he sought to make the blessed word, the, the Bible, the gospel, the word of salvation. I think just the fact that he went there, and he faced such great danger, and of course, we know back then, 3rd, 4th century, 5th century, whatever, there were no hotels or motels. I can imagine Ireland was was better then than now, but it's certainly a cold place. So he was really a great man, and we need to be people of courage today. We face so many challenges and so many dangers when you look even what's happening in our own country. And I think St. Patrick is a great inspiration. And then in the next century, it was Irish missionaries that went back to Europe to convert all those heathen hordes that had overrun the Roman Empire that started it all off in the first place. And so Columba, Columbanus, and they start monasteries and churches all across Europe. The Irish go down to the coast and get in a little dinghy boat, and wherever the wind blew them, they felt like that was where the Holy Spirit wanted them to be a missionary. Right. Could you imagine that? They brought with them the not just the gospel, but once he got rid of the Druids and the head chopping off stuff, they said, well, how do we do our laws? And so he wrote the Code of Patrick, and it's got some Latin law, some Bible law, and this is what the missionaries took with them back to Europe, and it later got called the English Common Law. So the basis wow. of English Common Law goes back to the Code of Patrick, goes back to the Bible. Common Law influenced our American legal system here in America. Learn about the real St. Patrick in Bill Federer's fascinating DVD presentation, St. Patrick, the real story of his life and times from tragedy to triumph. This DVD contains three episodes explaining the life and times of St. Patrick, the impact he had on his time, and what you and I can learn from his example for our time. You'll be fascinated by the true history of St. Patrick. St. Patrick, The Real Story of His Life and Times, From Tragedy to Triumph by Bill Federer, is available today on DVD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Forces working around the world, pushing toward that one world goal. The signs are all around us. Josh Davis is here with the latest information. Recent headlines argue President Biden turned pandemic decision-making authority over to the World Health Organization. But the USA Today fact-checkers were out in full force to characterize this story as false news. Here's what they had to say. Quote, a February 19th Gateway Pundit article makes a startling claim about U.S. pandemic policy, end quote. Next, USA Today shared the headline that they label as false information. This is what they think is false. Quote, end of American sovereignty. Biden regime negotiates legally binding deal to give Chinese-backed World Health Organization full authority over U.S. pandemic policies. No Senate approval needed. End quote. So what did the USA Today have to say about that? Quote, our rating, false. End quote. 
Although they stop short of using the phrase fake news, that's exactly what they think this story is. The USA Today article continues, quote, Health law experts said the document referenced in the article won't give the World Health Organization control over U.S. pandemic policies, which are decided by federal and state governments. Rather, the proposed accord is meant to encourage global cooperation in responding to a pandemic, end quote. Did you catch what they said? They said, rather, the proposed accord is meant to encourage global cooperation in responding to a pandemic, end quote. So let's compare that to the January 2023 theme for the World Economic Forum. It was titled, Cooperation in a Fragmented World. Global cooperation. Catch that phrase. Global cooperation is a term we are going to hear more and more as the one world system continues to escalate. So this report reveals that the Biden administration is in lockstep with the one world agenda. While the Biden administration does not have the sole authority to turn over American pandemic decision making to the World Health Organization, Biden has pledged legally binding American support in this global cooperation. The USA Today article argues, quote, proposed accord won't give the World Health Organization control. And their article continues later on to say this, quote, member states, including the United States, agreed to develop a legally binding agreement aimed at preventing future pandemics. But contrary to the article's claim, no part of the proposed accord will hand the World Health Organization the power to control U.S. pandemic policies, according to Lawrence Gostin, director of Georgetown University's World Health Organization Collaborating Center on National and Global Health Law. That's just a fancy way of saying he's a lawyer from Georgetown who helped to write this very document that President Biden referenced. They quote Gostin in the USA Today article as saying this, the treaty would seek global cooperation in preventing and responding to a pandemic, but it does not dictate to any country how it should make domestic health policy. In particular, the World Health Organization does not gain any powers over states, end quote. Folks, there it is in black and white. Again, he said that we are seeking global cooperation in preventing and responding to a pandemic. Those like Gostin, who are writing these accords and promoting the same agenda as the World Economic Forum. That World Economic Forum is marching together in step with the World Health Organization. And they are walking in step with the United Nations as they seek to find what they call global solutions to all our problems. That's the agenda at work here, folks. This accord reveals that at the highest levels of American government, people are working behind the scenes to promote this globalist agenda. Rather than seeing themselves as part of some sinister plot to bring down America, they view themselves as the saviors of humanity all across planet Earth. As technology increases, the elites believe that they're going to be able to solve the world's complex problems through global cooperation. That's their mindset. 
That's their philosophy. That's what they are working toward every single day. A strong America is a complete affront to globalism. It runs totally contrary to all they are working so hard to build. They view putting the needs of our country ahead of others as being extremely prideful and arrogant. So the globalists want us to view the world as one people group instead of individual nations. In other words, they want us to see the concept of American sovereignty wiped away, totally erased. Don't be shocked when any popular politician who promotes an America first agenda is totally demonized by the one world crowd. In their globalist mindset, any attempt to put America first will be a regression in the global strategy. So whether they realize it or not, those who buy into the globalist mindset are playing into the hands of the Antichrist one world system as outlined in Revelation 13. He will present global solutions to complex problems across many nations. Read it for yourself, Revelation 13. This world is being primed to think this way. This current presidential administration is doing its part to promote this globalist agenda. Most of our national news media are also doing their part to promote the globalist agenda by continually making all those who disagree with them look like crazy conspiracy theorists who are spreading false news. Facebook and Instagram labeled any attempt to share voices opposing Biden's plans with the World Health Organization as false information. Guess who pays the fact checkers to label certain news as false information? That's right, Facebook themselves. So at the end, this USA Today article reads, Our fact check work is supported in part by a grant from Facebook. And I'm laughing because it's almost too funny to be real, but these things are actually happening right now before our eyes. The global elites know the strong influence that media has over the public. Information is controlled to shepherd the public to think a certain way. That's why George Soros has invested millions upon millions to buy direct ties to more than 30 mainstream news outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, CNN, and ABC. And that report comes from MRC.org, a media watchdog group. Now we have further evidence that Mark Zuckerberg and other Facebook elites are using their platform to control content so they can shape how users think and they can silence opposing voices. We must keep our eyes open to what is happening in the world around us, but we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember his words to us in Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Learn about the real St. Patrick in Bill Federer's fascinating DVD presentation, St. Patrick, the real story of his life and times from tragedy to triumph, the impact Patrick had on his time, and what you and I can learn from his example for our time. You'll be fascinated by the true history of St. Patrick. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here on Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. 
Don't miss a moment of Watchmen on the Wall. Download our SWRC mobile app or subscribe to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.